I realise that when we talk about sex, that sometimes uh, it can get uh, this sort of reaction. <coughs> you know, when we talk about things. So I thought we'd just give us an opportunity to get sort of all that out of our system. All right. So participation exercise. You need to repeat after me. It's perfectly appropriate to giggle and laugh the whole way through, but you need to repeat after me. Is everybody ready? Good. Okay, here we go. Penis. 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 Vagina. Vagina. Boobs. Boobs. Breasts. Breasts. Erection. Erection. Erogenous. If you don't know what that means, by the end of this series, you will. <laughs> now, I had, uh, as I was preparing this one, I had a lot of trouble with how I was going to structure it, because at the start of the series, we talked about this being a biblical overview of sex, right? And we're sort of going to give you give a big overview this week, and then we'll talk about some more specific things in coming weeks. And that's all good, but the Bible's a really big book, right? So, like, there's lots of pages, and the... the, the the font is a lot smaller than your average book you know, in these things. So we are going to look at bits of the Bible, but I was like, oh, how, how, how am I going to structure it? Well, people do this thing on Facebook. I've done it. Some of you have done it. And I quite like it, actually. It's where um, when they do a post on Facebook, they just say, um, all they say is, I'll just leave this here, dot, dot, dot. And then they paste the link to something that might be a bit controversial or thought-provoking or alarming or something like that. It might be a video, it might be an article or whatever. So this, I just, I'll just leave this here. And then people can do with it what they want. And they can ask questions and they can agree and disagree and so on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just give you a few of those moments represented by these boxes. It's like I'm just going to open a box and, you know, maybe something, maybe you'll have questions about it. Maybe, you know, it depends what comes out as to what you think as to how it's going to be, right? So I'm going to do four of those tonight. And the way I'll structure it is, I'm going to talk about a message that we receive from our culture, uh, so wider, wider sort of Melbourne culture, and then I'm going to give a biblical response to it. So what does the Bible actually say in response to that message? So that's how we're going to do it. And hopefully, in doing that, we'll also get a, a, a decent overview of what the Bible says about sex. It's not going to be exhaustive, though, right? It's not going to be, like, thorough, because... You know, that's impossible to do that in the time that we have in the evening. But hopefully we get a good overview. So the first message uh, that we hear from our culture is that you shouldn't talk about sex at church. Because there's an assumption that when it comes to sex, Christians should be ultra-conservative. Should be the most conservative people about this sort of thing. And particularly about talking about it. You know, so like Christians, you know, if they have sex... You know, they, they do it once a year, lights off, fully clothed, as much as that's possible. And uh, it's certainly not for pleasure, it's only for babies, right? Now, you might, you might laugh at that, and fair enough, I hoped you would. But at the same time, I have had people sort of say these sort of things to me. Like, quite literally, be annoyed that I wasn't... They weren't a Christian, but they were annoyed that I wasn't more conservative than I, than I am. It's a bit weird. Uh, but church has also been criticised for having a bit of a, a not listening factor. It's like, ugh, sex, icky, ugh, gross, let's not talk about it. Gr disgusting, don't bring that to church, we don't want it. And this, so we can get internal pressure from this. You know? So since working at St John's, and the same thing happened at the, work, the church I worked at previously, I have received pressure from anonymous church people to not talk about sex with young people. Don't preach about it, don't have discussions about it, don't bring it into church. Receive that pressure 
from, you know, from people who attend the church. You can decide for yourself whether I agree with those anonymous church people or not. But to be fair, I think church can, we can sometimes think of it as a, a bit of a safe place. And we are bombarded with messages about sex in general culture. Right? We cannot avoid it. The media just smashes us over the head with messages about sex. Advertising loves to use sex to get us to buy their stuff. And so I guess from that point of view, you know, we, we think, well, you know, maybe, maybe we, need to, to be bit diff- we need to be different to that you know, because sex is just everywhere. Like, I'll give you an example. Say you want to buy some jeans. Right? You go, I don't know. I've heard that store Just Jeans. They sell jeans. Wonder what their advertising might tell me. You go, oh, these people are so into their jeans, they forgot to wear any other clothes. And, um, and I, there was a similar picture to this, which wasn't quite as racy on their website, right? And I couldn't download it. It wouldn't let me download it, otherwise I would have used it. But below it, it then said, kids' jeans, two for 70 bucks. It's like, oh, okay. So they're not afraid to put the kids' stuff right next to uh, this sort of advertising. And so... You go, well, if we're getting smashed by this, church should be different. You know I mean, isn't church meant to be about quiet prayer with candles? Like, why, why would we want to talk about it? Uh, why would we want to bring con- controversial things into church? So I think that's perhaps where people are coming from. So, response. What's the biblical response to this message that we get that we shouldn't talk about uh, sex at church? Well, the Bible would say that message is wrong and we should talk about it. And I say this with 100% confidence because the Bible actually has plenty to say about sex. Now, we believe that the Bible is God's word. It's given to us so that we can live life in good relationship with him and with each other. Sex is not the most important topic in the Bible, but it is one of the important ones. Uh, And so it's actually right there at the start. So if you look at... And you can feel free to do this with me. Get your apps open or the Bible's on the... Um, ledgers in front of you open. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, uh, right at the front of the Bible, second chapter in the Bible, and they're not long chapters in the Bible, are they? Like They're a couple of paragraphs, not like novels, where they go on for pages. And God has just created Adam, uh, a man called Adam and a woman called Eve. And as soon as that's done, we read these words in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, he says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, whenever the Bible talks about people becoming one flesh, it's talking about them having sex. Right? That's Bible polite speak for having sex. And it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay, so did you realize that the Bible begins with two naked people having sex outdoors? Like that, that's how the Bible starts. That is right there at the beginning. Uh, And it's not there to make us go, oh, humanity's already off the rails. God's giving it, you know, thumbs up. Like, this is is a good thing. Like, this is the... Actually, this is the picture of the best the world has ever been, is these two naked people having sex outdoors. So sex is right there at the start of the Bible. So I think, you know, as followers of the Bible, it makes us okay that we talk about sex uh, when we get together. But there's more. There is an entire book of the Bible dedicated to it's sort of this large poem about a relationship, a romantic sexual relationship between a man and a woman. Not, the, not Adam and Eve, different couple. Uh, and uh, it's a book we'll look at multiple times in this series. 
Uh, it's called the Song of Songs, or sometimes referred to as the Song of Solomon. Different titles talking about the same thing. There's a general release movie, right? So not a Christian movie, uh, but just sort of a movie that came out in the cinemas a few years back called Keeping Mum. And it actually summarises Song of Songs quite well in this particular scene I'm about to show you. So Rowan Atkinson uh, is the, the man in the, playing, playing the male character in the scene. He's sort of a classic Christian stereotype, like boring Christian, sort of when people talk about sex, he sort of stutters and mumbles and gets all nervous and this sort of thing, and he's sort of Mr. Bean sort of way that Rowan Atkinson does. Um, his character is a, is a minister at a really boring church and uh, his marriage is really dry and in danger of falling apart completely. In the story, his mother-in-law arrives and starts to help him with all his problems, including his marriage problems. And, uh, of course, that's who you want to help you with your, your relationship problems is your mother-in-law, but this is what happens. And uh, so in this scene, she's attempting to help him out using the Bible. So let's have a look at the scene. We'll stop it there. It's an M-rated movie, but because the mother-in-law is a serial killer, not because of the sex scene that came after that. So... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the whole, you know that from the start, it's not a big spoiler. Okay, so, alright, so in this movie, right, it is the book of Song of Songs, a book from the Bible, in fact a book from the Old Testament, which apparently is meant to be the more conservative, legalistic part of the Bible, apparently, uh, that helps this couple turn their marriage back into a loving relationship. Again, not a Christian movie, but, and, and so you go, oh, the Bible helps someone with their sex life? Could it be? Well, yes, it can. And it only, but it only helped after he'd actually talked about it and had that conversation yeah, with his mother-in-law. So, should we talk about sex in church? Absolutely. I guess a follow-up question would be, should we be more conservative than the rest of culture? Uh, and I guess the answer to that would be like, yeah, sometimes probably we should, but we've got to take our lead from the Bible and what the Bible encourages us to talk about, not just from some feeling that we should be more conservative than, or be as conservative as somebody else is telling us to be. So yeah, we should th talk about it. Okay, what about the second message that we hear from our culture? Second message is that sex is just sex. Um, you might have heard this concept or you might have heard people actually say this line, that sex is just sex. Um, basically, this is an idea that you just remove sex from relationship completely, right? So people say, well, sex is physical, which it is. That is technically true. Uh, but then they say, it doesn't have to be anything more than that. It can just stop there. So this is where we have the idea of friends with benefits, right? Where two people say, we're going to have sex together, but we're not going to get into any sort of committed or romantic relationship. This is where one-night stands come from, where people go to nightclubs to hook up so they can have sex with someone. Maybe they remember their name, maybe they get their phone number, maybe they don't. Point is, it was just a physical thing. Or even swingers parties, where people go, we're just going to share partners for a night at a party, right? So these sort of things flow out of this idea of sex is just sex. And I guess people who really hold this position strongly, uh, then they say to people who think sex is more than just physical, and they say, well, you're just, you're just that's just your tradition. You know, you're just being too traditional or you're taking it all too seriously. Okay, that's a criticism. Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, it respectfully disagrees. And Jesus himself has some really important things to say here. So please have a look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Um, 
we'll also have it on the screen. I didn't anticipate the number potentially cutting things off there. There you go. So Matthew chapter 9, um, verses 3 to 6. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus replies, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So he's quoting Genesis chapter 2, written over a thousand years earlier. He's quoting that that we just looked at before. And he says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So when two people have sex or they do sexual things together, they become physically one. Hopefully, the Australian education system has educated you on enough that you understand the technicalities of how that works. Um, what Jesus is saying, though, is that there is more than just a physical connection that is made. And so when people finish having sex and they physically separate, that there is still a relational connection. There's something else going on that there's a connection that remains. Um, and it goes beyond just sex. So when he's asked about divorce, and if you think about when people get divorced, you're basically asking two people who have been having sex and who have... Uh, been, been physically one and, and relationally one, he's saying, so when you ask about that, he makes it clear that separating those two people, that is a really big deal. Like that is not something to just be going, oh, any and every reason, yeah, whatever. Uh, he, he, he says that, and later on in verse 9, he says, I tell you that um, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, there's some complications in that, and the Bible gives a couple of other reasons in other sections. But the point being, you don't, he's just saying that there's, there's a lot more going on than just a sexual act. That actually sex brings people together in profound ways. And that separating that is a very serious thing. Our culture is starting to pick up, I think, on the problems with sex is just sex anyway. Um, so... There's a, there was a bunch of movies and TV episodes that came out sort of about the, the, the Friends with Benefits thing. There was a movie called No Strings Attached. There was another movie that came out similar to that. A lot of TV shows picked up the idea. And so, you know, two characters decide we'll have sex with each other, and, but we won't, we'll, we, that'll be it. You know, so we're not going to fall in love with each other or anything like that. Guess what happens in all of those stories? One person starts to feel non-sexual feelings towards the other person. They feel that there is more than just sex going on, that it goes beyond physical. And then that creates the drama of that particular story. Um, I'm going to insert my opinion in here for a sec. I'll just, look, I'll just put this here. Uh, I think the idea that sex is just sex is negatively contributing to the, the issue of date rape. Okay? So in particular, I'm thinking about the sort of date rape where usually a boy takes advantage of a girl who's drunk or high or... She, she, she's not capable of saying yes or no in the situation uh, or says yes in a situation where you know, she doesn't know what she's saying. And they take sexual advantage of that person. Um, now, if you believe that sex is more than just sex and that that's a relational violation as well as just sort of a physical thing that happened, then that's a, that's a horrible crime. But if sex is just sex, I feel like it lessens it. So it's like still a crime, but it, it's kind of less. And I think it has contributed 
to victims not coming forward and pressing charges or reporting it and so on because after all, sex is just sex. Is it, a big, is it that big a deal? Well, Jesus says it is a big deal. That's a horrible thing to happen to you. And yeah, there, should be, there, are, there are automatically consequences to that sort of a situation. Anyway, I'll leave that there. So I think our society is seeing the problems with the message that sex is just sex, but the Bible is clearly in opposition to it, clearly in opposition to it. Okay, message number three is that you are not a complete person unless you are having sex. You're not a complete person unless you are having sex. A couple of angles on this one. Um, and by the way, that message contradicts message number two. But our culture doesn't agree on this topic, right? As I said, we just get all sorts of different opinions on this and we don't actually agree on anything really um, as far as sort of a Melbourne culture is concerned. Um, but this basically says, yeah, I mean, preferably you're having sex with someone who's in love with you, but, you know, if you haven't met that person yet, then take whatever you can get. And it's almost like it's a race, like life is a sexual race. Most orgasms at the end of life wins, you know, and that's your aim for, for your existence. Um, and and in, in these sort of circles, when people hold this idea, being called a virgin, that's a put-down, right? You're a loser if you're a virgin. You suck at life. You haven't been able to convince someone to sleep with you that means you're a loser. And um, then there's a, there's a deeper thing that goes on as well, which is perhaps a little bit less harsh, but is perhaps more problematic. And that's the idea of finding your soulmate. Okay? So the person who, once you get together, uh, your life will change completely. Uh, you will become a complete person for the first time. Now, this plot line is just everywhere, Right? We could line up hundreds of examples of this plot line in modern media. But the standout of recent years, the standout uh, for youth and young adults growing up over the last decade is the Twilight series. This series just hammers this message full on. So you've got the two characters, Bella and Edward. Bella is human, Edward is a vampire. And they love each other intensely. There's a lot of looking into each other's eyes, having serious conversations in those movies uh, and in the books. Um, but because Bella has warm blood, being human, uh, whenever he's around her, Edward wants to drink her blood, which is not a cool thing for a boyfriend to do. <laughs> so um, <laughs> at the start of the second book, minor spoilers here, uh, he decides to leave Bella so that she can be safe. They still love each other but he wants her to be safe from his vampire urges that whenever he's around her, he wants to kill her and drain her corpse. So he leaves. And so I'm going to show you the clip from the movie, which is based on the book, about Bella's life after he leaves. Let's have a look. So that just kept going, didn't it? <laughs> but I, let it, I, I thought about cutting it off earlier, but I thought, no, I'd let it linger because it'll show you just how forceful the message is if you're separated from your soulmate, it's like it just rips your life apart. So, um, in the book, that's represented, that whole scene's represented just as a series of blank pages, just with the month headings, as if nothing of worth happened when he wasn't nearby. What the series presents is that romantic relationships are the most important thing ever in the history of everything. And they say, th like they say things to each other like, 
can't breathe without you. In that sort of voice too. I think I'm nailing it actually, it's a great impression. And look, Twilight lays it on a bit thicker than other stories, but not that much thicker. And it's, it's not just sort of romantic genres, like some of my favourite like, action movies have this theme as a, a huge driving force in the plot lines. And so um, you probably have heard this theme over, over and over and over again. You've been smashed in the face with it, but you haven't realised, because it's just so common. It's just something that sort of just picked up, oh yeah, this is what we do. Until you find your soulmate, and until you have sex with them, you're not complete. What does the Bible have to say about that? Ah, that's the worst idea ever! Well, possibly not the worst idea, but it's really bad. It's a really destructive idea. Uh, look, I think we can cut through the virgins or losers thing pretty quickly. I think most people can see through that. Uh, you know, okay, let's quickly use me as a case study. I'm married to Renee. We've had sex at least twice because we have two children didn't use IVF, right? So, let, <laughs> live in the dream. So, okay, so let me say this. Let me say this. As someone, to all of you who haven't had sex, as someone who has had sex to all of you who haven't, I did not become a better person when I had sex. It did not complete me. I've never met anyone who became a better person after having sex. In fact, the opposite is true. A bunch of people became jerks after they started having sex. If you're a virgin, you're not a loser. And anyone who tells you that you are is just acting out their own massive insecurities. Okay? In fact, my experience is that often people pretend that they're having lots of sex when actually, if you get them in an honest moment, they're actually not. The Bible goes to the extent where it says, do you know what? Singleness is a really good option. Singleness with no sex, that is a really good option. If you want to read Paul, one of the famous people ever, one of the famous Christians ever, he was single. If you want to read him pumping up singleness and say how great it's been for him, read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you've got a great idea, maybe life groups would want to look at it together in the next couple of weeks. So the Bible is just totally against this idea. And you might go, okay, yeah, look, you know, the virgins losers thing, that's just jock bullcrap, we can put that aside, right? What about the whole soulmate thing, though? Has that got any legs? Because lots of Christians believe this. I believed it for a long time. And we, we sometimes spiritualize it, too. We say things like, God has someone special picked out especially for you. It's not in the Bible. That is not a biblical promise. That is not a, God, a promise God makes to you. Um, Christian counsellor, uh, Renee and I, when we were dating, we went to this seminar run by a Christian counsellor, um, basically for you know, romantic relationships and sort of some advice on that. And he trashed message number three for two hours. It seemed like that was his whole job, like the purpose of the seminar was to trash this idea. Um, and he said, biblically, there's nothing, for, you know, there's, there's nothing here to suggest that this is the case. I mean, to the point where, again, I'll just leave this here, any random couple can get together and have a great marriage if they both are fully committed to doing it God's way. I'm not recommending random selection as the way to get married, but there's an idea. Anyway, leave that there. But what this counsellor also said, he warned against the dysfunction that will enter a relationship 
where the couple are meant to complete each other like they do in the movies. And he pointed out a bunch of problems. He said, and, but he said the main problem is that individual people, we're selfish. All of us are selfish. Like we try not to be, and it's good to try not to be, but inevitably we will sometimes be selfish. And so nobody's going to perfectly, completely provide for the needs of another person. You are not going to be able to do that. Nobody's going to be able to do that for you. So if you're in a relationship where you're expecting that to happen, what do you do when it doesn't? Maybe you nag to try and make it happen. Maybe you try manipulating. Whatever the case, you stop thinking about serving the other person and you start to think about ways to make that person fulfill your needs. The line this counsellor gave us was really helpful and it stuck with me. He said, the best relationships, romantic relationships, are where people say to each other, I don't need you to live, but I choose to live with you. It's by saying, I am valuable as an independent person, but because of our love and our relationship, I'm going to choose to live with you and I'm going to choose to make the, comprom the, uh, the compromises and take on the challenges that that involves. Love is not something that just magically happens. It's, it's a choice. Now, I could go on about this and I won't, I won't tonight, but we will in future weeks. But the point is, this message is deeply contradicted in the Bible. I also want to make it clear that if you do hold that view or you're just realising tonight, oh, maybe I do hold that view, please don't feel like I'm standing here judging you. As I said, I held this view for some time and it is the commonly held view by most people in Australia and it is the common view of most people writing popular media that we consume. Um, I still think we should change the view. Don't get me wrong, like I'm not saying, oh, I'm not judging you. We need to change this view if we've got it but it's totally understandable that that's what we would have picked up. The thing is, though, in God's world, every person is valuable because they're made in God's image. And, you know, think about children, right? Children who aren't old enough to have sex. Like, what are you saying? Are they not valuable people? Like, no, they are because they are made in God's image, right? So when you become a Christian, you don't need to look to other people to fulfill your needs you get to look to jesus who is the only one capable of fulfilling your needs it's a good deal last message message number four if i admit my sexual sins to, to other christians i will be harshly judged if i admit my sexual sins to christians i will be harshly judged there's a cult in the USA uh, who show that, at least in their part of the world, this message is true, right? They're called the Westboro Baptist Church. The Baptist denomination have disowned them, but they keep the Baptist name. Uh, and they are well known for saying horrendously nasty, horrible things to people who they perceive to be sinners. Now, the Bible says that everyone's a sinner, so they pretty much hate everyone. And, for example, they're famous for for picketing, you know, protesting outside um, a funeral of a gay person with posters that say things like, God hates fags, stuff like that, right? So you've probably seen them on the news. I'd be surprised if you haven't. Um, so there's perhaps an example of where this message is coming from. Closer to home, uh, we have the Australian Christian Lobby who are requesting that the defamation laws be removed for the marriage debate that's going to happen, well, potentially is going to happen, depending on who's in government and how all that plays out. Um, 
so that they can feel free to speak their mind. Now, I'm not sure what they've got planned to say, right? They haven't said it, so let's not judge them on that, but we have to be suspicious, and people are suspicious that here's a bunch of Christians who want the defamation laws really um, removed. We think they're probably going to say some nasty things about other people. Like, that, that's a suspicion that I think is fairly legitimate that people have, right? It's, it's hard to assume anything else. Then, of course, there's personal experience of people involved in local churches like ours. I know some of you, just having talked to you about it, that you have felt that when you've shared past sexual sins that you have felt harshly judged by someone or uh, some people in the church. A um, uh, story from my previous church, and by the way, I, I tell, tell negative stories about my previous church, not because it was a bad church, but just because it doesn't involve anyone here. <laughs> so, like, it was a really great church, but not perfect, just like we're not perfect now. So, we were having a bunch of young adults sitting around, just a social night, um, a few people from church and a few, few sort of people who just started joining our church, and we're having a conversation about relationships and sex and all this sort of thing, and someone at some point spoke up and said, this conversation is dodgy. Now, my opinion was that it wasn't dodgy, actually. I, I had thought it was really helpful, and I'd been, been getting a lot out of it. I know some of the people who were new to church had been getting a lot out of it. But I think what this person was expressing was it was perhaps a bit more honest and open than they were used to, and so they labelled it dodgy. And, and the conversation shut down as soon as they sort of spoke up and said that. Now, credit to them for speaking up if they felt it was dodgy. But unfortunately, I think it sort of derailed a conversation and sort of... It put people back in their box and they didn't feel willing to share. And, you know, a friend of mine had recently become a Christian. She'd been finding a very helpful conversation, trying to work out how she could live, you know, how she used to live and how she would want to live now that she's following Jesus. And she lost that opportunity. And, you know, that was a, I felt that was a bit harsh, the way all that played out. Um, so this is the sort of experiences people have. This is why this message exists, I think, message number four. Um, What's, what's the biblical response to if I admit my sexual sin to other Christians, I'll be harshly judged? Um, oh, we've lost the bottom there. Oh, no, no, we got it. Unfortunately, you might be, but you won't be harshly judged by God. So let me explain this. Um, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that people are not perfect. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, uh, when imperfect people are involved, sometimes we hurt each other with our words and sometimes we will be harsh accidentally or even deliberately. Um, when you're part of a church, if you think about it, you're actually joining a group of people who openly admit they are not perfect. <laughs> that's, what, that's sort of a, a, you know, a good description of church. And so inevitably, we're not going to be 100% loving and gracious and all the things God wants us to be 100% of the time. Just as you yourself are not going to be all those things 100% of the time. So it's not, I'm not trying to bash up church people. We're all in the same boat. So yeah, we can't expect to be treated perfectly, graciously, lovingly all the time by people. But how does God think about us? What's God's attitude towards us? Um, that is one of complete love. Uh, Jesus gives us some really good um, advice on this, on how to sort of share this with others. So um, he once said, uh, we'll put it on the screen, I think, Nick, if we have it. Yeah, here we go, Matthew chapter 7, verse 4 to 5. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. These are really great words to live by. They're great words to bring into your home, into your workplace, into all, your, all sorts of relationships. Do you have a bit of humility. Deal with your own sin before you start to criticise people about theirs. But I would note that you can still help other people with their sins, right? So he doesn't say first take the plank out of your own eye and then leave them alone. He says take the plank out and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So if you notice that I am sexually sinning in, in my words or in my actions, then I would hope that you would deal with your own issues in that area and then come and speak to me about it and help me deal with my issues in that area. That is how the church is meant to work. That's a gracious, kind thing to do. It might be hard, it might be challenging, but if all you're looking for from church people is for them to approve of your actions, that is not how church is meant to work. We're meant to have honest discussion about this sort of thing. Because the reality is, all of us will have walked outside of God's boundaries surrounding sex in one way or another. I haven't gone into the specifics of those boundaries tonight. Rest assured, we'll cover those in the rest of the series. Um, but generally speaking, it's a guarantee that we've all sinned in this area. We've all believed the messages of our culture that are contrary to God's word. And that means that we've all, done it, we've all gone against him, either physically with our body or definitely with our minds. Jesus says in Matthew 5.28, I tell you, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in in his heart, right? So that what's going on in our heart is just as important as what we actually do with our bodies. A friend of mine, and I'll finish with this story, um, he'd, recent, he'd recently become a Christian. He hadn't heard about God's boundaries around sex um, up until that point, but he was sitting in a service, I guess not dissimilar to the one we're in at the moment, where the preacher was talking about the boundaries and showing how the, what, what, God, what boundaries God had put in place in, in the Bible. And he was not feeling very comfortable about his actions in the past before he was Christian. And his mate, who had sort of brought him along, noticed that he was feeling uncomfortable and, and you know, that this was sort of, you know, been a bit of a shock to him. And his friend gave him some, some ripper advice, very important moment of truth, where he said, you've got to remember that God is incredibly gracious. God is incredibly gracious. He shows us favour even when we don't deserve it. This is at the heart of the Christian message. It's at the heart of the Bible. It's at the heart of everything is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on a cross and rose again so that the sins of human beings like me and like you could be forgiven completely. So if you haven't already, tonight is a great opportunity to come to God with your past, to come to God with your past sins and your past scars and receive healing. If there's one thing you need to know about what the Bible says about anything, it's that God loves you and is incredibly gracious. This talk is part of a series, right? So there's plenty more to be said on this topic. As I said, I'm not doing exhaustive sort of, you know, covering everything tonight. I hope what it will do is, you know, create a bunch of questions i hope it's opened up a bunch of conversations that we can have with each other we can have in our life groups a bunch of prayers we can pray for each other i hope we'll be really gracious with each other during that i hope that we can forgive each other in that time it's 
to, for that to happen and for that level of honesty to happen, it's going to require a bit of guts and, and it's going to be a challenge. But I hope that together we can do that and in the strength of the Spirit of the God who loves us that we can do that together. Rob's going to pray for us a bit now. She's going to come forward, but I might just bring together our thoughts for tonight with a prayer as she comes up. Father God, thank you for the grace you've shown us through Jesus. Thank you that he was prepared to, to die and also to live a life where he didn't have sex um, to show us that we are valuable um, just as we are. Thank you that he's prepared to die so that we could be forgiven. Thank you that his resurrection means we don't have to worry about you pointing the guilty finger at us but that we can embrace your loving hug instead. Please be with us for the rest of the service as we worship you, as we pray together. Um, help us to reform our ideas around sex to be more and more in line with your word so that we can live this out better in our own lives and support each other as best we can. Amen.